Hi, everybody. I'm Joshua Danziger. And I'm Ethan Camfield. Today is Thursday, March 25th. And this is The Young Perspective, where we talk about America's biggest political and social dilemmas from the eyes of two high schoolers. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Young Perspective. We are back in the grind, back talking about current issues. We haven't done that for actually, it seems like a long time, a couple of months. Yeah. But uh, we're going to be talking about a bill which is being debated in the Senate right now. It is called S1. And in the House, it was called HR1. It's already passed the House, and now it's in the Senate, and senators are discussing it. There's been a lot of contentious debate over S1. The more appropriate name for S1 is actually the For the People Act. And S1 regards voting in America and how we can expand voting to more people. It's a new voting voters' right act. And basically, it just expands on trying to you know, draw back voter suppression and make voting more accessible for everyone and make it more, in some ways, secure and in some ways, just a more fair process where everyone can vote in equal grounds. So on a federal level... It ends congressional gerrymandering. It overhauls federal campaign finance laws, increases safeguards and, and countermeasures against foreign interference, strengthens government ethics rules, and does a lot more. Many of the reforms will be implemented in the November 2022 general election. Uh, some of them, specifically the gerrymandering, gerrymandering ones, will be implemented in the 2030 census. So this is kind of a long-term bill. So yeah, how a lot of these things happen? Well, you know, one of the important things is requiring states to set up automatic registration. Basically, it's going to require states to, when, when an individual signs up for a driver's license, when they get their driver's license, they're automatically signed up to vote unless they opt out of that. You know, the gerrymandering idea, instead of having state legislators draw new lines every few years for congressional districts, now it's going to be an independent commission that redraws these lines every 10 years. So that's going to make it nonpartisan. What's interesting about having everybody automatically be registered to vote when they get their driver's license is that the Republicans say that's going to cause many illegal immigrants or they say illegal aliens to be registered to vote when they're not citizens of this country and they have no right to vote. And they say this because, at least in our state of Texas, you can get a driver's license if you're an illegal immigrant or if you're not a citizen. So if, if when they get their driver's license, Republicans are claiming that they're going to be registered to vote when they have no right to vote, and they may actually be illegal. But this has been proved false. In fact, it's actually illegal for non-citizens to vote, and this bill would you know, do nothing to change that. Uh, and it would still require people registering to vote to swear they are citizens. So with some process, when you're getting your driver's license, you still are going to have to swear you're a citizen, or when you're going to vote, register to vote, you still have to swear you're a citizen. So that really debunks that theory. But something also new that it's doing, it's going to extend voting to millions of former felons. And this will, you know, not include everyone, but a lot of people who are convicted felons out of prison, now they're going to be able to vote in certain types of people. And a lot of Republicans are also mad about this as well. What's interesting about this one is you have to ask, is being a felon, going to prison for a serious crime, do you, do you go to prison to be punished for what you've done? or to be rehabilitated. Because if you've, been going, if you've gone to prison to be punished, then it kind of makes sense that your punishment still lasts after prison. But if you've gone for rehabilitation, the point is you rehabilitate in prison, and then you're, you're, you know, you're, you're 
right to vote is restored. Other uh, acts of freedom are restored after you're released. You know, the point is that you're going to be a better person and that you're going to be able to participate in society. Well, I think that, you know, there's a mix of both. You definitely deserve to be punished for your crime, but also there is a, for, there's, there is a reason why, you know, prisons should focus on rehabilitation because, you know, if you're going to leave prison, you need to, you know, get brought back into our society and we don't want the same person who was a crim- criminal. We want someone, you know, who's learned from their mistakes and learned how to enter back into society, uh, you know, as a law-abiding citizen. And well, part of that is that you don't need to vote. That's one of our most basic rights. So that's why the Democrats are wanting to include this, you know, to give felons more of a chance to get back into the normal life that they used to live. So the question is, what kind of place should felons have in this country? Should they have the same rights as everybody else? Um, do they give up some of the rights when they're convicted or when they commit a crime? The Republicans are specifically outspoken on one of the, the things it addresses. The bill proposes restructuring the FEC, also known as the Federal Elections Commission. For right now, it is an evenly bipartisan panel where you know people discuss from both parties what the election is going to look like. The bill proposes the, the the bill proposes an odd number of members in the FEC, where chairman selected by the president gets to take control, basically take control and make a lot of these decisions. So that means whatever party is, is control in the executive branch, whatever party controls the presidency, they are going to get to choose the person that runs the elections. And this is actually a surprising thing for me to believe that the the Democrats have proposed this. This doesn't seem like the, the you know the Democrats were all scared that Trump was trying to undermine the election, uh, and he did undermine the election, and he undermined uh, America's trust in, in, in the voting process. But why would they give a president the opportunity to do that in the future? I don't quite understand. And the Republicans are extremely mad about this, at this part of the bill. They're saying that the Democrats are trying to create an authoritative regime. As I said, it's basically going to allow whatever president in office to, and whatever party in office to have a more stronger you know, control over elections. And I personally believe the elections should be completely separated from the party in control. You know, our, our elections are supposed to be safe and secure and, uh, you know, a completely democratic election that is not altered by the president. Whether the FEC has that much control over the election uh, with, you know, a chairman that's going to like have an odd number, you know, you know, rule over it, is it going to make that much of a difference? Who knows? However, it just doesn't seem right. And so the Republicans are very mad about this and they definitely don't want to pass this bill because of that. The legislation would also increase the security of the elections or increase the American people's perception that the elections are secure. And it does this by increasing the use of paper ballots, which reduces voter intimidation and the spread of disinformation. So in this past election, one of the big fears for the American people was that people will be stealing their, you know, their, their ballots or the computers will be hacked or the voting machines will be hacked. Um, and public polls show that if you use paper ballots, the public mind perceives it a lot more safe. So Democrats are trying to make the election perceived a lot more safe by the country so more people will come out and vote, which is a very reasonable thing. And the way they do that is by using paper ballots in the future. And you know, one last big thing that the bill covers is that it's going to require all presidents, vice presidents, and candidates who are running for the White House uh, in a position there, uh, they're going to be required to release their annual tax filings. This was a big issue with President Trump a few years ago when he would never agree to release his taxes. Uh, everyone, you know, urged him, urged him for so many years to do it because everyone wanted to know how much he was paying in taxes and he never would do it. So if this bill was passed, all presidents and vice presidents and, you know, candidates who are running for the White House would be required to release their annual taxes. Shifting a little bit of a different direction, this bill addresses a common trend in the country where Republicans are trying to make it harder for many people to vote. A study by the Brennan Center for Justice, a nonpartisan 
independent organization that analyzes election results found that state lawmakers have filed 253 bills with provisions that restrict voting access in 43 states just last month in February. So the a lot of Republicans in a lot of states are trying to restrict voting rights. And in response to that, the Democrats are trying to push this bill forward. Specifically, Chuck Schumer has one line where he talks about the restriction of voting rights in Arizona. And it was a big line in the news because he uses the phrase shame, shame, shame. So we're going to hear that line real quickly. In Arizona, no fewer than 22 separate measures to limit voting rights have been introduced, including a bill to require every absentee ballot to be notarized. How are poor people going to pay for a notary when there's virtually no indication of fraud? It's one of the most despicable things I have seen in all my years. Shame, shame, shame. So that was the big line. It was all over the news. And in response to that, the Republican Mitch McConnell had a similar line where he used the word shame just to kind of get back at Schumer. So we're going to play that line. And this audacious move wants to turn the judge of our democratic process into a partisan prosecutor. Talk about shame. Anybody ought to be feeling any shame around here. It's turning the FBC into a partisan prosecutor. The majority controlled by the president's party to harass and intimidate the other side. So he's back talking about shame. He's saying it's shameful for the Democrats to put all the power of the FEC, the Federal uh, Election Commission, into the, the power of one party. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting line. I mean, Schumer was pretty powerful. Shame, shame, shame. We're completely blocking poor citizens to vote when we're, you know, requiring that every one of their votes is notarized. And, but, you know, McConnell comes back saying, you know, it's shame is that you're trying to, you know, change the FEC to make it that it's going to be a completely partisan commission where, you know, the president gets to control and control his next election. There's so much tension right now in this committee that's, you know, debating this bill. The, the Republicans hate this bill and the Democrats believe it's, you know, one of the most important bills that they're talking about. So will this bill pass if it's so contentious, if it's so down party lines, can S1 pass in the Senate? It's already passed in the House. I believe it was like 220 to 210. It did pass in the House, but the House is mainly Democrat and the, the Senate is 50-50. The vice president breaks the tiebreaker. But there are one or two Democrats who may actually not vote for the bill. So that means it'd be 49, 51, and it wouldn't get the votes, and the, the, the vice president would to, wouldn't get to vote. So it's questionable about whether this would pass. But even if they do convince those one or two Democrats to vote for the bill, they still aren't going to be able to pass it because the Republicans have threatened to filibuster the bill. And because the Democrats don't have more than 60 votes to overturn the filibuster, they're screwed, and the bill won't be able to be voted on in the first place because of the filibuster. And so without that 60 votes they need, to overturn the filibuster, the Republicans are just going to badger the bill, keep debating it forever, and they're never going to get to vote on it. And so this means that the bill can't pass as it is. You know, there needs to be some sort of change, some sort of part that needs to be taken out for Republicans to not force a filibuster. So what's interesting about the filibuster is a minority of 41 Republicans or 41 Democrats, whatever it is, they can slow down the committee session and they can eventually prevent the committee from voting, which means it's not that the, the bill passed, it's that the bill was never voted on. So they have actually a lot of power there where even a minority can shift the future of, of legislation. So what's going to end up happening? Well, because the Republicans are so against this bill, it's going to take a lot, a lot, a lot of changes, you know, big changes, maybe even complete restructuring of the bill for them to not filibuster it. 
and all well, the Democrats really believe in a lot of the bill. They think that, you know, it's really perfect as is, and that there's a lot of things that, you know, need to be put on this bill. Now the Republicans are going to get rid of, they don't want to get rid of the changes that the Republicans want to make. So they're going to try and push forward with it, maybe make some changes, but it seems as if as long as there's not like big changes to it, it's not going to pass. So what does this bill represent in the bigger you know, spectrum of American politics? Well, one thing we actually didn't talk about earlier is this bill is in response to a lot of bills by Republican legislatures in, in, in the states that have tried to restrict the voting of, of African-Americans, communities of color, black communities, uh, brown communities, Hispanic communities, immigrant communities. So all these legislatures around the country are trying to limit these communities' right to vote um, because that those communities are what changed the outcome of, of Georgia in this last election. It turned a Democrat. Those communities are what scare Republican politicians. So when the Republicans are trying to stop them voting, Democrats are trying to help them get more votes, help register more uh, voters in these communities. And this kind of represents a larger trend in American politics. Republicans or the Republican Party, as we know now, is trying to hold on to power. And it seems like in the next 20 years, it's going to be very challenging, especially with bills like this, for them to hold on to all these different state Senate seats. Um, and, and, you know, it's going to be the Republican Party is changing. They're not holding on to the same power that they did, you know, during the Trump presidency. And we might see a very different Republican Party in 10 years that is either going to be split by Trumpism and traditional conservatism or is not going to be as radical. Yeah. And, and for the Democrats, we see them, you know, really trying to push for these minorities in these immigrant communities to be able to vote because they want they're going to vote for them you know a lot of these minorities believe in what the democrats have to say they feel like they're pushing for legislation that's going to help them and so the democrats want to help out these people because well they believe that everyone deserves the right to vote and should be able to vote if they're a u.s citizen but also they believe that uh if they get these people to vote that they'll vote for them and that's beneficial for them but i would like to be clear the republican party is not going away Conservatism is not going away, but it's undergoing a fundamental shift in ideology, right? It's breaking apart, and a lot of that's from Trump. It's breaking apart. People are splitting. The radicals are causing the party to split. The January 6th, a lot of Republicans didn't like what happened on January 6th. I mean, it's just the fact of the matter. A lot, a lot of Republicans could not identify with you know, the, that, that view of the Republican Party. So it's undergoing a fundamental shift, and while this shift happens, the Democrats are going to have control, from my perspective. Yeah. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see what ends up happening with this bill. Maybe there'll be some big changes or maybe not. Maybe it'll pass and maybe it won't. But we'll see. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of The Young Perspective. It was an interesting one, I hope. I quite enjoyed making it. If you want to find more of us, please look us up on the internet. Our website name is theyoungperspective.net. You can find us on Instagram at the underscore young underscore perspective. You can email us at ejtheyoungperspective at gmail.com. This is the second to last episode of season three of The Young Perspective. This is our 59th episode. Next week, episode 60 will be our last episode of the season. We are going to be opening up with season four in just a couple weeks. We have some big stuff coming. We're planning in the works, and it's going to be an interesting new season. So please yeah, get stay, excited. Please stay tuned for the future and get hyped for the, the season finale next week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And this was the young perspective.